Future Mobility, defined by the outstanding creative design minds of the automotive industry. Dear audience, my name is Ludmila Der. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Whether at live events or in the digital world, we bring together cool promising tech startups with exciting innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets. Get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. This episode is a special edition, because today I welcome three designers from the automotive industry as guests on our Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Let's welcome Anders Warming, Frank Wu and Albert Johann Kirzinger. Yes, these are names that are known far outside the design world in the automotive industry. Nevertheless, I would like to briefly introduce every guest. Anders Warming is the founder of Warming Design Company and has an outstanding background in automotive design. Anders, you were head of exterior design at BMW, then head of design at Mini, then most recently at Borgward, before you founded your own company. Our second guest, Frank Wu, is director of design at Beijing Automotive Group. Previously, Frank was lead exterior designer at Cadillac in the US. Frank also has a very exciting background. Having grown up in the US as an Asian-American and even still speaking Chinese, the ability to understand both worlds, the Asian and the Western, is something you were born with. Let's see how we can integrate this culture inside in our interview. And now to our third guest, Albert Johann Kerzinger. Albert has been head of design at Volkswagen Commercial Vehicles and MAN Latin America since 2012. Since you moved to the Volkswagen Group in 1999, you have worked on designs for Audi, for Bentley, Bugatti and Volkswagen. At Volkswagen Commercial Vehicles, a lot of vehicles bear your signature. The Caddy 4 and 5, the Bully T6, the Crafter, the Moya, the Delivery and others. And now, the audience, let's dive into this exciting world of automotive design and discover together what challenges mobility of the future will bring. Of course, as always, we will also learn about the sources of inspiration, the lessons learned and how to handle difficulties from these three great personalities. After all, the world of design is everything but simple. Anders, when you see all the transformation in mobility, be it electrification or autonomous vehicles and gradually some models of shared mobility, What will be the biggest challenges for designers of tomorrow's mobility, in your opinion? Well, I think the biggest challenge will be actually develop an understanding for what actually can happen or should happen. What I mean by that is I actually think that a lot of the technology is being developed right now. Autonomy, electrification, uh, in different speeds, but at least it's a technological offering that is available. But what we haven't gotten to yet is um, to get a worldwide, let's say, consensus about why we are going into autonomy. Yeah, I think a lot of customers look at the issue of autonomy and they kind of think to themselves, well, I just need a steering wheel and a car. Why are you offering me this thing? I didn't order it. Yeah, And I think that's the, the, the big challenge is to 
go into the why we want to offer uh, mobility in the future in a different format, the different models of shared mobility or autonomous. Uh, because mo a lot of people might say today worldwide, I don't really ask for sharing mobility. I didn't ask for autonomy. And so that's the why, what we got to get into. And what I mean about that then is um, there's big, big opportunities now to communicate through concept cars and design and visualization um, to inspire the customer of the future, that he sees something online or in you know, media, whatever, and says, oh, that's cool. I would like to have that in the future. To inspire the customer to say, actually, I would like to pay for that. Uh, because uh, what I mean about it is that as a private citizen, it's kind of hard to imagine what would autonomy mean for me as a person. So that means I go out the door here outside my office, And a car arrives and it picks me up and takes me home. And then you kind of go like, well, why don't I drive myself? But if you turn it around and you tell the story and say, hey, it's your own private jet for the street. It's a shuttle that picks you up, that gives you time to spend time with the things you like to do. Read a book, uh, listen to music, uh, watch some YouTube films on the way home. Don't worry about traffic. The future shared mobility autonomous cars basically will tell you when you're going to arrive at home or won't even, you don't need to listen to traffic reports because you just get a number on a dial that says you'll be home at 7.47. And then you plan your day from that. That's a new way of seeing. And that's the why that needs to be communicated. I think the technology will be there eventually. Now it comes down to us in the development world, us designers as well, uh, decision makers to commit to this why and tell that story. Albert, as a designer, you always live in the future since you work on cars that will only hit the road many years down the road and then in a form that may even be heavily modified compared to the concept cars. Now a question with Smirk. Which design trends that still exist are the most boring to you and you would like to see them disappear from the streets as quickly as possible? <laughs> the nice introduction in a, yeah, perhaps it's a simple question, uh, but looking more in depth. <laughs> I think, first of all, uh, I, I want to say that living in the future is, yeah, you, you, you brought it perfect to the point. That's what, uh, what our designers for. They, they have a distinctive, instinct of what is future about and they live only in the future they are reacting different because uh, human beings and designers are different one one is annoyed somehow about getting not to that point in the future getting not fast enough to that vision the other one stays really confident in keeping a plan keeping on that way to reach that goal And all of us are um, for sure curious about that future. Will that really happen? So the answer uh, or, or the question about uh, what is boring for me and for, uh, I think for, for all the designer, uh, the, the boring moment uh, begins when you are in a routine, uh, when you are not discovering, when you are not exploring and uh, when you are not adding something. Yeah. You can try to, as a, as a aim, you can try to get the best styling, uh, the timeless, most timeless styling of the, uh, styling of the world. 
and having it in, in, in the highest quality, okay, then uh, you will get to the solutions that uh, many designers try to, to reach. But you try to add something. It gets boring if you try to add nothing. If you, it, it gets boring if to, you try to uh, only to remake something. So it, it's not uh, a question of uh, what is the design philosophy in, uh, behind the product you you have to create. Uh, it's a question about do you add something or do you only copy something. So um, for me. <laughs> Simple, really personal. I'm bored if I have to treat with retro styling, which adds nothing. Retro styling always goes to history and and uh, says to me there is something. There there was someone who dared something, and you you want to copy that. And this could not be the right way. You have to add something. If if the retro styling tries to understand what is what is the, the the basic idea of the original product and you have to or you will interpret that basic idea then it's not boring but mostly retro styling does only copy make it only new with new techniques the same styling the same idea adding nothing that's the most boring thing i i guess i can find as an example actually i i take with me that to to avoid boring design or actually boring projects in general, you have just to keep exploring, to keep developing, right? Frank, and what is your opinion? What design trends and developments do you see in the automotive world today? First of all, that's a really good question. As a car designer, for me, I tend to really appreciate all sorts of aspects of design style and different types of design philosophy coming from different designers all over the world. Right now, there's different trends of different styles from the, the Eastern design perspective in terms of the, the styling aspects and also the philosophy of the design. And then also, of course, there's the, the Western design philosophy that really migrates between the American car design versus European car design. And of course, I think in between different regions of the vehicles, Uh, the design is really interpreted into different forms. And uh, for me, I think what's really interesting is to be able to kind of learn and adapt all kinds of design style and to understand why car designers design certain vehicles the certain ways in different regions of the world. It also breaks down to the differentiation of internal combustion vehicles, which is a little bit more of a traditional gasoline vehicle design versus today where we can see a massive trend of electric vehicles. And I think also there might be a very soon we will see a transformation between traditional vehicle design, which we might see, you know, from traditional gasoline cars versus EV cars. And then in the future, I think there's also another trend that might come, which is going to be autonomous vehicles. And of course, there might be different arguments saying that, you know, both gasoline cars and EV cars will all have autonomous capabilities, as we can clearly see today. But I think it might be also leaning towards more of autonomous mobility. So different era and with different uses of technology really enable designers to be able to kind of explore different realms of the design relevance at that age. And, and like I said today, we can see a clear trend of EV design that's really booming and designers from all over the world trying to explore different interpretation of what the future EV shall look like. And then again, like I mentioned with the autonomous vehicle, very soon we will see a, a new wave of designers trying to explore that design standard 
of what the future autonomous vehicles might look like between ride sharing or public transportation or subscription vehicles. So I think different three types of aspect might kind of have different interpretation of how the exterior and also how the interior can be differentiated. But quickly, I guess to to kind of just for me, but of course the answer breaks down to a very wide spectrum. So it's very, very debatable. But for traditional gasoline vehicles, we see more of a trend of sportier sort of sensual design language to create a very emotional attachment to the buyer or the, to the driver. And I think that's more of an expected direction. And then of course, different OEMs, they take different approach to kind of create that interpretation. And then for EV vehicles, we kind of see a little bit more of a cleaner, much more technical and modern design. And modern, of course, can be interpreted in different ways. But to me, it's much more of a cleaner and technology-based design interpretation. And of course, in the future with autonomous vehicles, it shall be interpreted maybe in a different different direction. And, and it can be much more about a furniture design inspired where it's more of a living room space, right? Where we can share kosher space within the vehicle interior. And then that allows us to open up a much more boundary for the exterior design uh, exploration where it can be much more of a product design base. So again, I do really find very interesting to explore different type of design styles and different interpretation from designers all over the world. And I think as a designer, I really do appreciate to be able to even learn different type of approaches, even sometimes it might not be the most to personally to one person, the most attractive. But I think there's a lot of thoughts and meaning that that goes behind those designs. Do you think that autonomous driving would give you as a designer much more freedom? than you have now. Would you expect that, that this trend will bring really a, a creative freedom to you as a designer? Um, yes. I, I was trying to interpret that question because it can have different meanings to the question itself. But I think in a very basic summary, I, I definitely do feel like designers, car designers, or even including user experience designers, industrial designers can all be able to be involved in the future of autonomous vehicle design. Because today there's much more emphasis that are being put into the interior design of the vehicles versus where before in, in the past, exterior design is much more emphasized. Because like I said, it creates that, that emo uh, emotional attachment between the buyer or the driver to the vehicle itself, where when you look at the car, the proportion, the beauty, uh, the sculpture, the, the surfacing, the reflection, the just the overall silhouette of the car creates more of a sculptural moving speed form in a way where I think autonom autonomous vehicle can still kind of keep that uh, as one direction. And then on the other direction, I think people will start to explore much more of a, like I was mentioning earlier, much more of a human interface point of view where the interior is going to be freed up in terms of the packaging. We can play around with the way the seating arrangement is going to be. And then also the entire interior dash door panel relationship to the, to the driver and to the passenger, be able to utilize new material, new technology to free up that space and be able to kind of almost decorate it like a living room, right? I mean, every single person, when you go home, everybody kind of have a different taste on how you want to decorate your house. And I think that can really bring into the future of autonomous vehicles. Every different driver or the family be able to kind of rearrange the way they want their interior space to look like for the vehicle. And then, for, you know, of course, I think it's going to be mainly interior focused where the exterior, I think it could be also have a lot of flexibility as well, where 
like I was talking about the packaging of the vehicle from the interior, designing from inside out, where the exterior can definitely be influenced to the, the direction of the interior in terms of the packaging. And then there's also going to be a lot of usage of new technology in terms of lighting, lighting technology, sensor, radar, LIDAR, even the the glass, uh, uh, well, you know, we're talking about the, the cabin of the vehicle can be able to have project, uh, projection of different type of information and maybe even entertainment to utilize the space of the interior, both inside out. So I, I do think that's a really good question. And, and again, that's just kind of my first take impression on the the freedom that it will create for designers in terms of creating that the new canvas for us to paint on. Kind of home cinema while driving. <laughs> so to, to sum it up. No? So absolutely. Sitting in a nice luxury living room and enjoying the free time, whatever it is, entertainment, infotainment. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think maybe I might be going to a little bit more detail, but uh, but of course again, this is only my point of view, is that When it comes down to autonomous vehicle, I think one of the biggest com competition for different OEMs will be to be able to provide content into the vehicle for the, what we call it, you know, for the users or for the driver and the passenger. The content can, can be all sorts of data, all sorts of entertainment. It could be the, the very much like our, our smartphone device or our iPad where content is provided based on applications. And you can download it as you go. You can delete it. If you don't want it, you can add additional new services, entertainment, all kinds of tools that can enable you to be able to have a much more friendlier user experience while uh, you're in the vehicle during the journey between point A to point B. Anders, are there also subjects that not being talked about or being elevated to the attention it deserves regarding design? Are there real-world issues that are neglected by designers? I think definitely the real world issues will be the future premises that we have to work around. These things, the shared mobility, the autonomous, those are the real world things that will be part of our life in 2040, 2045. And yes, I do think that we designers, and I say we because I, I'm guilty of that myself, um, is we love race cars and sports cars. I love sports cars. But it's not going to save the planet, <laughs> quite on the contrary. I mean, maybe, you know, uh, you know, if you have like electrical uh, uh, race series and that kind of stuff differently. Okay, it couldn't get uh, important. But I think what we really should look at is um, forget the aesthetics of a sports car a little bit. You know, this whole Gran Turismo thing didn't help the world anything. It's just... You know, I, the games are fun, but these concept cars that were built by the brands and each one is flatter than the other one. It's got bigger wheels and even flatter. It doesn't really, I think, answer to the future needs of the world we live in. So it's kind of like too much sugar, too little substance. So I think we need to move into more um, real need uh, for mobility. And uh, may I just say that and it's not always just the autonomous shuttle or the autonomous Uh, you know, special thing that, that we're talking about. What we're also talking about is a little city car that weighs a thousand kilos with a plug-in hybrid drivetrain for two people, for four people. Like simple solutions, not just crazy autonomy, but also simple solutions for future mobility. I think that sometimes can be neglected. I like short sometimes tall vehicles as a designer. And sometimes people are not quite open to that because they want low and wide and big wheels. 
So I hope that at some point we'll get over our love affair with big wheels and low cars, even though I'm also guilty of that as well. Do you see then all the new hypercars a little bit overrated? Yes, for sure. For sure. For sure. I don't need them. They don't inspire me aesthetically. Just, I don't think, you know, I, I just posted a sports car Porsche online, which I really like, but it really comes down to a sports car in its traditional sense. It's not, it's nothing else, but just a beautiful low sports car. So yes, they're overrated because we should look at uh, these, um, uh, in, you know, intelligent mobility solution as well. So too many hyper cars with 3000 horsepower, electrical acceleration, 1.9 seconds. I don't think it's going to change that much. It might bring the technology on a higher level, more efficient level. But then I'm saying, why not just do it there? You know, a thousand kilo car that's relevant to you and me in our afternoon drive home. That for me needs more attention. Albert, design triggers feelings in the beholder and ultimately in the customer. Now, while emotion-driven purchases are justified in the passenger car sector, this is much less the case in the commercial vehicle sector, when we think of company fleets, for example. What role does the design of the vehicles play there? I think design has to be more than a feeling. You mentioned a feeling. The, the, the feeling keeps and stays important even in a commercial design, but we are more customer driven. And I think if you are going in depth uh, to understand what means commercial vehicle design, you have to understand that the customers are more, much more various than in, in the private use. We have, for example, uh, the business partners, uh, really the business-to-business -business customers, and they are divided uh, in, in private ones and commercial ones. For example, fleet customers or uh, someone who has a craftsmanship at home, he is buying our car and using the car does someone else. So uh, B2C and B2B are the different main groups And uh, in a commercial vehicle design, uh, you have to respect the end customer and perhaps the customer which wants to earn money. So design is then crucial if you want to earn together with your business partner money. They are looking for total cost of ownership, uh, what means they have to respect every cost and design is a cost factor. Even If you only think about selling a car, if, if you had the car for five years in your fleet and, and you have to resell it, it's a cost factor that this car is not looking old, styling-wise, not a lot looking old. You have to resell it and it has to, you have to balance a new worth in, in reselling. So the styling has to support all the needs from the end customer and uh, from the commercial customer in the total cost of ownership. It is only not only styling. You have to bring a really uh, holistic design um, to the customer. He wants a product which supports his business. Think about how do you design for example, For example, a sliding door. Yes, perhaps that's a good example. A sliding door has to uh, open very fast because only one second or two second um, in, in usage is one or two second uh, you, you have to pay uh, in, in work time. <laughs> 
So even easy to use is, is a factor in the total cost of ownership. So that the design must be self-evident and it must be easy to use. And if you look only at, on the styling, the styling is a marketing factor uh, in the commercial side. The styling has to support the image, the picture of the whole company. Now imagine you are a craftsman and you have to build a house. You park with your car in front of the house and you are showing somehow the quality of your whole company. You're showing what quality can the customer expect with the car itself. So it's the image of the, of the whole company uh, you are expressing. And perhaps it's, it's somehow the same function uh, a private owner seeks. He wants to express something. The private owner not only buys the car about emotion-driven feelings, he wants to express something. He wants to show perhaps to the neighbor <laughs> um, uh, how uh, successfully I'm in life. And it's the same in the commercial side. The, you want to express uh, what is your attitude for what are you standing for. So it's a so, little bit uh, of pragmatic approach, but still also a bit of a status and what kind of value this person or this brand has, I would say, no? so to summarize it. Frank, what are for you some very positive trends where you wish there was a lot more going on in that direction? Which design developments do you find most exciting? I think nowadays we do see a lot of new developments in terms of automotive design between, first of all, like I was talking about, between different geography markets. We have American markets, we have European markets, we have the Asian markets and all the other markets around the world. But of course, every market somehow does have different type of consumer needs and demand. And then also vehicle market demand sometimes are sort of differentiated based on the society and then the social infrastructure of the transportation grid. For instance, in China, I think uh, the transportation grid here is very, very complex. It is, you know, a massive transportation grid with so much cars on the road. But at the same time, one of the big difference between, I guess, China versus America, where on most bases on the road, you get to see a lot of cars, plus a lot of bicycles and also a lot of scooters and electric scooters all sort of merge in the same parallel of the road in the traffic. So that is sort of one big difference where in America, I, I guess, you know, when it comes down to, you know, maybe in bigger cities like uh, New York or, you know, Chicago, sometimes you'll be able to spot more, I guess, bicycle riders on the street, but it's still quite, I guess, in a way they have their own sort of transportation lane. But, you know, of course, sometimes we do see bicycle riders riding on the actual car lane, which is a different story. But now coming back to that in China, that happens all the time. You know, you see different bicycle riders riding on the car lane or uh, scooter riders riding on the car lane. So that kind of creates a very complex transportation or infrastructure for the transportation grid. And then when it comes down to autonomous vehicles, there's much more study to be made, much more tests to be made. And also with the addition of the government sort of policy continuing to support and upgrade the current infrastructure system. So I guess when it comes down to sort of autonomous vehicles, I think it def uh, definitely will create some sort of uh, different type of, I guess, product, different type of products for different vehicles in different places. And then it might very much also change the way the, the vehicle itself look like or the way it is put together. I think different places will take a little bit of time to be able to adapt 
the vehicle itself, the autonomous vehicles itself in the future to be more appropriated in its local regions. Albert, and, and now let's change to a more positive note and not just related to commercial vehicles, but also in general. What trends in design are you noticing that you really, really like? <laughs> What I really like? Yeah, perhaps the opposite of boring. <laughs> Better, yeah. Um... But that's even more personal. <laughs> now it's about your personal taste. Uh, it's an open question. Where do I st uh, striving for? What what is the best uh, design you can get? And if you, if you really look now at at some discussions, I think it it goes just in the middle of of the point of interesting a timeless interest. Um, that's the human orientation. I think human orientation is a really good design trend. You you come back to what we what we are there for, what, what, uh, what is our purpose, um, uh, why we are designing. We want to bring the best products, uh, 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 we want to contribute uh, uh, to the society and human orientation is a really good design trend. For sure, everyone does a different interpretation. Uh, even in, in, a, in a technical uh, aspect, uh, the user experience, UX design, Everyone is talking about that. That's perhaps not I'm I'm talking about. That's that's um, yes, it's a, comp a component of it. This is a, a is a big theme. But uh, for me, it's it's better to say human orientation um, is about user needs. It's not about only user experience. It's about user needs, and this is a, a really uh, worthy and proud, uh, wonderful new world we are exploring now as designers. We have to to go on on that way what is really user need and we have to discover yeah it's a it's a bright future i think we we are now opening frank what do you think foreign brands could do better in terms of design to better appeal to chinese customers especially because everyone would like to enter this chinese market and how to do this best from your point of view You mentioned it already that we have very different automotive markets and also the perception of a design is very very different Great question. A very big question. Most of the global OEMs are very much interested in tackling the biggest market in the world right now, which is China. When I was at GM working at Cadillac and Buick, also understanding that many of the companies in America are really trying to understand the Chinese market and be able to uh, create an edge in the future product that they will launch in China. And then, of course, including the, the Asian OEMs from even Korea, Japan, and et cetera, and also European big players like Mercedes, Audi, BMW, and so many other players in the uh, auto industry. For me, I've currently, I've been living in China now for almost four years. This is my fourth year. But, you know, I grew up in the States my entire life. But now living in China for this amount of time, I slowly to understand as a car designer, what the Chinese buyers are really looking for. And like I sort of talked about a little bit earlier, where different markets have different demands. For me, I think the B2C market in China, a lot of companies are tackling towards a younger buyer market. So we have a very big new coming, this, uh, this 90s, post 90s customer base. And then they have a huge purchasing power to be able to sort of define one of the trend that vehicle design or branding of uh, different automotive companies uh, might be taking in the next few years. And then I guess in terms of design, 
a lot of the buyers they're looking for in China, they're looking for something that's more bold, something that has volume. In terms of, I'm talking volume is the actual size of the vehicle. They do like a bigger size vehicle because it creates a lot of space, a lot of comfortable space, including legroom. Legroom, we can see that very clearly. Where a lot of the OEMs from、uh, global OEMs that import their vehicles or that produce the vehicle in China,、uh, they create a L version, which is the longer wheelbase version of the actual car. In Europe, you probably won't see that. In America, you you won't see that. You won't. So in China, exactly, you you probably see the opposite, where you see a smaller version of it because it's much more compact and efficient. But in China, I think it's going through a transition period where the customers are looking for bigger cars. Uh, longer wheelbase because I guess there's a lot of cultural、uh, reasons behind it as well. There's a word in Chinese that's called、uh, "mianzi," which is one face, which means that when the buyer they buy the vehicle, it could be their first vehicle, it could be the, an upgraded vehicle, but when they drive it outside, when they pick up their friends, when they pick up their family, or when they just simply park on the road, they want to feel good about the car. They want to feel like they have a A, a better car, a bigger car,、uh, a better brand, a, a car that has a higher specs, right? So,、uh, but but volume is one of the big comparison aspects in China. But of course, I don't speak for every buyer in China. This is just one of the study that we've taken a lot of surveys. We've asked a lot of questions to a lot of different buyers、uh, between the age of twenty-five to thirty-five, and then of course, I think beyond thirty-five. They're also sort of leaning towards that、uh, demand as well. So, being able to create a vehicle that has that boldness in Chinese, the boldness we call a da qi.、Uh, it's not a literal interpretation. Da qi. It's more of a. It's just a feeling. It's it's a feeling that it looks very bold. I wouldn't say aggressive. So it's really they're looking for that volume and then also be able to have face、uh, when they drive the vehicle out. And、uh, to have a, a have a conversation about their car and、uh, to feel good about it. So that's one. That's I guess one aspect. And then the other aspect is we're talking about because the the market trend is moving towards this youthful market. You know, the age is between age twenty five to thirty five range. So they are looking for something that's very new. And then I think that's super important because some OEMs I do feel like they're taking much more of a traditional approach to keep the design sort of much more a little bit safe, a little bit safe. I want to say traditional because they are, of course,、uh, continuing to evolve their product lineup、uh, in terms of their design language that might be fitting more towards the、uh, the family DNA, the the iconic design language of what their brand identity is about. But I think in China right now, a lot of the younger buyers they're looking for something that's fresh, something that's exciting, something that when they drive it out on the road, people will turn back and say, "Wow, what is that?" They like that kind of tension. But again. I'm only speaking for sort of the, the the information of the survey that we've done based on a summarized conclusion of what the trend is going. There's always exceptions to all kinds of things. So having a design that's much more excitingly new and also a very sporty, young design feel allow them to be able to have much more of a close attachment to the design itself. And then we can see some of the brands in China. Uh, that are starting to、uh, really explore new design territory. Not going to really talk about specifically which just one brand, but I think there are many that are trying to do that. And then、uh, you know, I think in terms of car design, I think more attention and also more of the credit should be kind of given now towards the Chinese car design industry 
as a lot of the designers from all over the world are contributing their ideas on the interpretation of what the future Chinese market uh, for the vehicle design shall look like. Not just the Chinese designers locally, but also foreign designers as well. And then there's different type of tackling points that we can see today with different new brands in China, regardless of their gasoline vehicles or electric vehicles. Both are starting to do some really cool and fresh design in their new products. And as you have recently had the opportunity to create three new models for the Chinese market in 2020, what are the biggest differences in design when you create for the Chinese market compared to the European or US market? Well, I think the thing that I love about these projects is the fact that the openness in China to let's try, let's go, let's try something new is, is proportionally higher. It's also a little more um, sketchy because you can go left, right, up, down, center. You can go in a lot of different directions. So you need your own guidance when you do those things because you kind of get a lot of, um, I would say, kind of a blank canvas. You can you can go a little further with a lot of things, which is very rewarding as a designer and you like to go there. So compared, uh, compared to normal projects, especially many years at BMW, or uh, also working with the brand Borgward, working with the brand Mini. You know, when you have these brands, these heavy brands like Borgward, Mini, BMW, very important to so many people, it sometimes can be a little bit of a burden. Like you're more being told what not to do. Don't change this, don't change that, don't change that, rather than to just talk about what you can change. So uh, that's a big difference. Um, I think um, there's a lot of freedom but it also uh, in design solutions, but it also comes with, let's say, an added responsibility that we as designers make sure that uh, we have a, a clearer direction of what we want to go with. But it's like I say, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's a big change to designing just for European OEMs. Albert, you had just mentioned this user needs or user experience and user interfaces and so on. Well, it's no secret that the use of electronics and its complexity in modern cars continues to increase. On the one hand, of course, it serves to make modern cars able to drive in an improved way. And on the other hand, it serves to integrate such elements as infotainment and all the new features that will come, for example, with autonomous driving when we will enjoy free time while driving. It's ultimately about mobility at this super holistic experience. How has design changed along with it during this development period? What are the new demands on designers in this new complexity? Mm. Uh, first of all, I believe, yeah, yeah you, you said, um, uh, enjoy the free time in autonomous driving. <laughs> first of all, I think I have to, to state that in, in, a, in a commercial view, it, it's uh, about how we can use the, the, the new given time and um, how we can avoid cost. Autonomous driving and technique helps the, the end customer in the private use yeah, to enjoy something in a commercial use. It's, it's a cost factor and it has somewhat more purpose. And I believe it's, it's the first starting point uh, to get in touch with the new technique uh, because uh, you really are in that total cost of ownership saving. Um, it's, it's, it's a big factor uh, to establish the autonomous driving. So, but to, to your question, I see with, with all the complexity, uh, with uh, all the, the technical approach we have, um, I see 
Yeah, for sure, some some issues uh, for the technicians, for the engineers uh, to solve that uh, that problems. As a designer, I'm I'm getting somehow in a new freedom. I'm I'm I, first time we are liberated somehow to the design with the human orientation. What we think, what is really important for the customer, uh, we we don't have to bother too much. Uh, about the technical complexity because it's it's beneath uh, the shape it's it's uh, beneath the functions are, are not so obvious um, customer relevant yeah perhaps I, I give you an example what uh, to, to express what I mean um, if you if you design a, a, a HIFI system 20 or 30 years ago, you have to arrange in a perfect way of style um, all the functions. Um, uh, you can uh, make a wonderful technical object of desire. There is a lot of work to do to get that in a perfect harmony and to make the functions understandable for the customer. Now, for example, as a, as a really as a contrast, you have an iPod and you have a Wi-Fi surround system. Um, you can only bring to the uh, customer the feeling of sound, the philosophy, and uh, you don't have to bother about too much how this this apparel will, will function. So I believe it's a big chance. Uh, I, I see not the, the big demand in designing technique. I see the big demand in finding a new purpose. What is really customer relevant? Where, uh, where is the really pleasure for the customer? This will be the big demand for the designer. And we have to find uh, a, new, uh, a new philosophy. Sometimes the philosophy is technical driven from the, from the old functions. If I think about new cars, autonomous cars, easy to use cars, at the end, the designer is the person who has the holistic view. And the demand is to keep human-centered. The demand is not to design technique in a nice styling way. The designer has to find the new philosophy how we treat the future. Albert, you mentioned in the beginning of your reply that um, while autonomous driving will bring like free time for the passenger cars, it can bring some added value for the commercial vehicles. So can we then imagine that commercial vehicles will be like driving offices? Is that the future? Yeah. Uh, for, for sure. It's one of the, of the big dreams. Yeah. Cars are somehow a working place and yeah, driving pleasure uh, <laughs> is, is the reference to that working place. Um, in a commercial side, uh, if you don't have the function of a driver, you can use that room. So it's, it's, a, it's a moving room. And how can we use that moving room? This is the big, big, big future. And if I look at my, uh, my core product at Volkswagen Commercial, the, the bully, the microbus, the, the delivery van, this was from the first beginning, this moving room. Now we have the big chance to give that room fully back to the customer or, or to the purpose we are searching for. Fully back. We, we throw away that, that working space of driving that car and it, it can be rearranged totally. Yeah. Frank, you mentioned that 
for the customer, for the Chinese customers, it's important to have, let's say, kind of a cool car. So that, that people really appreciate the, the brand, how the car looks like, the design and everything. So, but now when we go to the trend of uh, shared mobility, will the importance of design increasingly diminish at the trend of shared mobility gain ground? Will design play a smaller role when you no longer own the car? Will it disappear, this wish to be special, to be unique, to have something what is more cool than the others have? That's a great question. How, how do I answer this? So, so for me, I feel like when you no longer own the car, I mean, there's different interpretation of that. In America, I used to lease cars all the time, so I don't technically own it. But that's not really, I mean, in a way, it is kind of like share, share mobility because once you're done with the leasing, it goes to either a different owner or it becomes a B2B sort of vehicle. But if you're specifically talking about share mobility in terms of public transportation, where maybe it's an idea of pay-per-use, where it could be a subscription, where, where you maybe download an APP and then you can actually order the car whenever you need it, and then it'll come, come and pick you up and then take you to your location, to your destination. And then every single time when you order that service, uh, the car is actually a different car based on the nearest location available to you. In that case, then I've, I, I would feel like design is still very, very important. It might be even more important than ever, but it might not be specifically aiming towards styling. What I was talking about earlier with styling is when you're just kind of, you're making the vehicle emotionally beautiful. Uh, and then there's different techniques to do that. But I think it's going to be more towards the user experience. That's very much, very important in the like I was mentioning earlier, in terms of the, the experience of your journey when you're in the car. So that's going to be maybe an autonomous vehicle or, you know, today where we can see where it's the sharing economy like Uber, right? Or indeed uh, in, in China, it's DD. So the driver will come and pick you up and then take you to your location. And to be honest, I don't really care which car I get and I don't really care how the car looks like. I really don't. Because uh, ironically speaking, I actually take DD in China every single day, going to work, coming back from work, going to uh, the city and uh, hang out with friends or, you know. So whenever I get into a DD, we're in America or in Europe, might be Uber or another uh, another brand. I don't really care about the, 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 the look of the car. Yeah, if I get an Audi or a Mercedes or a really nice luxury car, I feel pretty good while I'm sitting in the car because I feel like I'm being treated like a VIP. But of course, you got to pay extra money for that. So again, <laughs> Uh, coming back to your question, what, what what the styling of the car, like in terms of the the beauty of the car, really matter when it comes down to sharing sharing mobility? I don't think it will matter as much. I think the more emphasis will be put into the actual interior, where the entertainment, the riding experience, uh, having the best possible uh, user experience uh, to accommodate the, uh, the the passenger during the journey of of your ride. That's going to be much more important. You know, if you as a designer do not care about the look of the car and what design and what, what brand actually appeared there, then who should care about it, right? <laughs> so Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's a, it's a very, very sort of uh, interesting question because it goes both ways. I, I'm sure that some designers might feel the look of the car. And, and of course, I feel the same. I, I still feel like the look of the car should look good regardless. Regardless. I don't, wanna, I don't, I don't ever want to uh, design a car Uh, that looks ugly or very, very unattractive because I feel like that kind of goes against, you know, as a designer's, uh, the entire purpose of being a designer. But the designer's purpose 
really can function in different directions. Like I was saying, we can focus on more of an artistic point of view, an artistic approach versus more of a experience approach. Both of them are design. And then as we can clearly see a transition of the mobile phone going from much more of a styling product evolution, where we can see in back in the days where Nokia, Motorola, you know, Sony Ericsson, and all these really cool brands, um, you know, I remember Psychic, they were doing really cool cell phone designs. Uh, Motorola V70, Nokia 8800. I mean, when I saw the commercial back in the day, I was like, wow, that's the coolest cell phone I've ever seen. But in terms of the actual function, it's much, it works much more as a hardware, a hardware in terms of the, the aesthetic, the styling of the, the, of the product itself, where the function in terms of software, it's very much uh, similar between all the other competitors. Now, later on, we can clearly see a, a paradigm shift with the iPhone. And then that really influenced the entire global mobile market, mobile phone market, where it suddenly became more of a, of a software transition. Uh, so now everything we, we use in a, in a smartphone is all based on user experience. It's all based on content, based on software. And I feel like earlier to your question, when it comes down to an autonomous, especially an autonomous vehicle sharing or mobility sharing, it's definitely going to be much more content-based and software-based and user experience-based instead of focusing so much on the actual styling of the exterior or the interior. I think that might be a, a transition point. And does it actually happen also that you are asked to design some projects for the internal combustion engines cars? And how do you react? Uh, lately, not so much, actually. Uh, it's mainly electrical vehicles and hybrid plug-in kind of cars. Um, so I would say my personal opinion about this uh, is that uh, I believe in, in, in the multiple colors of things in life generally. So I like multiple colors of, of people and cultures and whatever. And that's why I don't want to put all my eggs in the electric basket either. You know, I think that there could be use cases where even a diesel engine optimized will have a future or could, should have a future. Even a, a, a regular combustion engine, very efficient, could have a future. Hybrids, electrics, going into hydrogen, whatever. What I, what I would like to have is basically a whole buffet of technology solutions that allow us to use them for the right use cases. If electrical drivetrain for a scooter for Shanghai is the right thing, let's go. That's great. But when in maybe in other countries where the infrastructure doesn't make it that sensible, then it's more, I think, we need to look into how to optimize maybe small combustion engines. You know, a combustion engine with too much horsepower, I think, might have seen its day. So because we'll get a lot more torque and speed from maybe an electrical drivetrain. But But what about a small combustion engine that just has a more specific purpose of getting, you know, a, a vehicle to run? I think that um, doesn't necessarily have to die either. So if a customer start asking me about that, I'll be interested. The criteria would be, is, is it good holistically? Or is it, you know, 800 horsepower gasoline engine? That's not something I would want to touch. But let's say a 50 horsepower you know, very efficient car with new technology and a combustion engine. Maybe in certain parts of the world, that still is the best solution because the infrastructure may be not be far enough for that. So I'm not opposed to it, but I don't want to do another supercar. That is quite a surprising reply, but I appreciate your honesty. Thank you. 
Albert, you said in an interview almost two years ago that the tea, for example, could become a kind of open source platform whose individual configuration is determined by the user in much the same way as we're used to customizing smartphones with apps today. What has happened in these two years? And Albert, would you still confirm this trend? <laughs> yes, trend. Uh, <laughs> this is a trend. I, I, th I think it, it was all the time about that from the very beginning. If I, if I look once again at my, my core uh, product, the transporter, if I really look at the history of the transporter, the customer himself designed together with, uh, with my company the first purpose vehicles. The first idea of the transporter was a solution for a special need. All the derivatives in the, from the T1 and the T2, all the derivatives were uh, developed together with the customer because everyone realized this is a wonderful platform to uh, really to fulfill certain purposes. And um, the, the big variance uh, and, and the big uh, palette of, of derivatives then uh, the next years um, uh, were developed uh, They were solutions for sure for, for special uh, purposes. The, the years after, the, the whole car industry in this segment uh, tried to find the customer solutions with coach builders, with premium partners to, uh, to go in, in detail uh, for, for special daily business. But at the end, yeah, you have one car, which is the platform. So that's not a trend. What I want to say, um, it's it's um, it's it's the main idea of uh, having a commercial car to have an open structure, an open platform uh, to fulfill different needs. And being more precise to your question, what happened in the last two years? I think with the seventh generation of the T, with the T7, uh, we are un unveiling this year. Uh, I think we have an answer. With a, with a new flexibility, with a, a new room we give back to the customer. Perhaps yeah, the open source at the end keeps a dream, but with the flexibility that we give to the customer, uh, he can divide somehow the room uh, with all over flat floor uh, from in, in, in the whole car with a flexible rail system, uh, with unbelievable, easy-to-use uh, seating system. Um, it is somehow that open-source platform to stick in uh, what you want, where you want. For sure, you have the really hard law, the legislations you have to fulfill, you have the, the cost pr uh, pressure. Perhaps that's the, the difference to an iPhone, uh, to, uh, to only to set uh, um, applications uh, to it easily. You, you have to think about the applications. It must be physical uh, applications. But I think we, we reached a new level uh, to facilitate to use the room uh, with the T7. And yeah, that the car is a car in, which has to fulfill uh, uh, the certain legislations in, in the movement. But if you look at the, uh, at the California, for example, uh, keeping it in place, It's an open platform to live your dream. If you park your car in a nice countryside and you uh, want to enjoy the life, you are setting up this whole room 
like you want, like you imagine, and, and uh, you, you, you're building your house everywhere. Perhaps that's just an idea of an open platform um, to use it like you want. Very, very flexible solution, definitely. And as like probably everyone in this industry, I guess you checked out the digital version of uh, Consumer Electronics Shows, yes, 2021. What was your personal highlight? Honestly, I didn't check it. Oh, really? Okay. Honestly, I probably should have. I got a lot of emails. I was there last couple of years and visited there. So, I, you know, I was registered. So I kept getting these emails. So I, my apologies to CES for just kind of not having the time to look into it. I would say I, have, I don't have a personal highlight, obviously, for that very reason. Um, and uh, I also, every time I went to CES, I just kind of went there to be, let's say, wooed, to kind of be just surprised with what I see without having any sort of preparation, just kind of take it in as spontaneous inputs. And I always found that CS was, you know, 95% you go through it, go like, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. And you kind of just take it in. And then you have something that go like, wow, that is uh, very special. And it could be anything, you know, it could be a household, uh, household appliances. It could be a car, a flying car, whatever that really inspires you. I think what I saw the last CSs that began to inspire me was when the companies start to think more about modular setups uh, as far as drivetrains goes, you know, in the regard that you have a you have a, a battery electrical vehicle with a basically with a skateboard kind of platform that would allow for more variation in design. Those are the things I always kind of look for. I don't want to be sold an exterior design as CS. I want to be sold technology solutions that will facilitate uh, design bandwidth. Albert, the car design industry is a whole universe of its own. And let's face it, not always with only positive sides. For example, there's extreme competition, extreme pressure to perform. You have an immense experience in this industry. How do you handle difficulties? What are your personal secrets for coping well with challenges? Thank you for the, for the compliments about the experience. Your CV says it. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I think I have no secrets at, at all. I, I, I did my way uh, in, in growing up as a designer. Yeah, I believe you, you have to set up uh, a good example in what you are doing. Before the podcast, uh, we privately talked about uh, engine bay design, for example. Yeah. Everything is... is uh, is an experience you, you have to discover and you have to to go through and, and do your best and uh, you have to set a good example. I, I do it personally the way I've grown up. Uh, I've, I've grown up in a, in a car garage. My father was a master the technician for cars. Uh, he founded a car garage uh, himself. Uh, he was selling uh, the Italian Volkswagen, uh, uh, Fiat. Uh, he was selling tractors, farming tractors. He was se selling motorcycles, everything. I learned to be really practical. I, I learned to be uh, goal-orientated. Uh, I learned to, uh, to solve somehow problems. Uh, designing is uh, much about solving problems. You have to have an idea. That's that's the basic thing as a designer. And then you have to go, what is the best design solution for that idea? And then you have the perfect design. So my, my 
My secret is just to be focused, follow really consistent to your vision. It doesn't matter what problem or issue uh, you will investigate on that way. Perhaps you have to be somehow like a solid as a rock to fulfill your consistent design idea. You draw a picture which is very pragmatic, which is very down to earth, very practical. But design universe is also a lot about ego. And how do you handle this? Or is it exactly the secret how you do this? Because you are like quite different from, from the picture I draw to you, like, like the, yeah, the superficial egocentric side of, of the design world. I think you can have the easiest way in, in life as a designer if, if you know how to fulfill the expect, expectations uh, in, in, of the decision makers in, in, in a big company. If you are somewhat a politician, you, you know how to treat uh, the opinions uh, to, to get to your goal. Yes, I'm, I'm probably not that person um, and uh, I'm not walking down the easiest way of designing products. But I, I think I don't, I'm not the right person for that. I'm, I'm not, I don't have the talent for that. I'm, I'm more that convinced, how should I say it, that, that convinced uh, religious design motivated criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I, That's a I great insight. What, uh, I think <laughs> what, is, what is the right a uh, way uh, um, uh, where I'm heading for. So one of my bosses <laughs> many years ago said uh, he was really annoyed of me. Yeah, he said, oh, "It's like in a restaurant. Uh, it's it's always the same with you. You serve something I did not order from you. Yeah, you serve it, and I'm really annoyed because despite that, this tastes nice. This is really." <laughs> But I did not order it. <laughs> I hate it. That it tastes nice. <laughs> this was really funny for me. Uh, that that moment. Keep uh, is that a secret to keep at that point, keeping convinced to do the right design idea and to do it without any respect. <laughs> do it with. Uh, are, are not uh, you, you don't have to be afraid if you if you keep on the idea okay it's it's uh, there, there is a more easy way to to sell than the idea than i do it but at the end if you if you keep on your idea and perhaps it will sell itself perhaps that's a secret yeah religious design motivated criminal <laughs> it's a hard way of designing things yeah yeah maybe in the hard way but it's your way and i mean we talked also before the podcast about this now so about this the whole topic of being stubborn when when you really believe in something and it, it's important yes and i mean i take with me now that it's not about giving the persons be it a customer be it boss be it i don't know people you work with don't give them what they ask for but give them what they need does it get the idea what you wanted to say yeah yeah Probably not not that bad. If you, if if you want to reach a consistent idea, for sure you have to to make compromises at the end with that decision makers. But if you try to sell too much, um, I think you get not the best 
design product at the end. The design product has to convince. This has to convince itself. Yeah. You have to burn for that idea, for that design goal, and yeah, that's that's my way of <laughs> um, yeah getting to the new new future. Yeah. Yes, uh, that's the way where you can uh, have sleepless nights, but at the end you can pr be proud of about about that that end product. Actually, while we are talking, um, it's even in that short time, one can really feel it that that you are really, really passionate about what you do, and um, it's it's just amazing. It's it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of passion. It's it's great. Keep up with that. <laughs> Thank you. You have to find a team, uh, a people around you who are really excited with with the ideas you to try to reach together. And uh, yes, we we have to burn for that ideas. We have to burn for for the for the product for the brand we are working for. Uh, perhaps this is a simple secret. Enos, how do you handle difficulties? What is your strategy when things are not going so well? How much time do you have? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't. How do I handle the difficulties? I, um, I, 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 I don't have a solution for this because I do think we're confronted with uh, difficulties all the time, and it only comes maybe a little bit with age that you get more resistant. I always say I have a thick skin. I can take a lot of hits, um, but on the other hand, uh, I don't want to be, let's say, an old man who just doesn't listen. So difficulties, it might not be that you kind of think of difficulties as is, as if I am in the right and the other person is in the wrong, like it's difficult. So I have to convince him of my way. So it's kind of maybe accepting certain things that you're not right. I'm not right. And then, yeah, probably the way is to open up and, and listen to the other side as much as you can. I especially found that uh, as I started working a lot with the Chinese market here, like four or five years ago, it was actually the reason why I left BMW to go and work with the Chinese brand Borgwald at the time, because I actually was very curious about this, these other cultural things, how things work in China, for example. And yes, I, I experienced situations where I felt that they were difficult. And, but at the same time, I also realized that, that the more I listened to the people sitting across the more I learned about that and that's sort of the solution to what's difficult. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe that's the summary. If, if you experience real difficulty, try and put yourself a little bit aside. I was talking about my gut feeling, my stomach, the other, uh, just before, but it might be that you're so, I am for sure. That's also, like I say, sometimes the critique on me, I'm, I'm too strong headed. I'm too sure of my opinion. I've heard that many times at my senior management at BMW. You know, Anders is too strong-headed, too opinionated. So that will cause negativity from the other side or resistance. Negativity, maybe not, but resistance. And what it comes down to is just kind of let the other guys, let the other side give him something, you know, and listen to them and try and understand why they are being an edge to you. Maybe it's just me seeing it in the wrong way. So my strategy is kind of to... To, to, to listen better. But I want to say one last thing about that. One thing that's not good, and I'm a big, I don't like the word patience. You know, I hear that a lot. Oh, you just need to be patient. Mm, I don't agree with that. Why not? Well, because I think that you, that means you put things on hold, like, you know, like, please hold the line. We'll get back to you. That's patience that I don't need. I don't have time for patience. I want to go to the future. I want to learn. I want to 
If I have a problem with, with things we've talked about in a project, whatever, I'll grab the phone and call you. You know, where some people say, oh, you just need to let it sit a little bit and we'll take it. It's like, no, I want to hear. I want to understand. I want to learn. Yeah. So sometimes I think patience is a little bit just kind of like parking things a little bit too much. So I actually think that impatience can be a virtue. Like you push things on and you confront people, not in a negative way, but in a let's talk about it. Tell me what, what do you think? What do you think? Teach me, you know. Uh, so I'm not a, I, I, I have a preference not to be patient. Uh, if I get impatient, then I will let people know and say, ah, right now I'm impatient. And um, tell me what, how we can do to make um, things better, how we can move on. Let's start now. You know, this second is is the first step into a solution. Don't postpone. Yeah, that's the thing. Patience sometimes is linked to the word postponement. And that for me, I think time is money and future is important. And uh, let's do it now. Great answer because um, I'm impatient myself and actually no one ever said it is a good point, you know, and then pointed out like it's positive now. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing. I'm with you on this. I mean, there's a say, impatience could be a, a a a a starting point of something you want to accelerate. Yeah. When you feel that, like there's something like ah, and okay, it could be a little strategic how you place it, but don't put it on a shelf and say, okay, well, let's wait three years and wait for it to blow over. No, let's go for it. Yeah. Frank, as a designer, the most important thing is your creativity. However, the design environment is very stressful, fast-paced, demanding, and highly competitive. In other words, everything that actually stands in contrast to the relaxed creativity. What are your personal tips and tricks on how to manage to keep in balance? Oh, wow. I need to think about this more often <laughs> because I do very much want to balance that life. It, it is definitely, car design is definitely a very, very competitive profession. It starts as early as from school. When we were back in school studying automotive design, I remember our foundation year, our first year, we, we all started off as industrial designers. Uh, we, st we, we studied ID design. And then, you know, we learned the basics of uh, what industrial designers should understand and should be able to obtain these basic knowledge. And then uh, once you have those, those foundation, you elevate to something a little bit more specific, such as transportation design, product design, or automotive design. In school, car design has always been very, very demanding in terms of the competition. A lot of people want to study car design, and there's a lot of talented design students back in school. So we're all competing to get into the program. And then because, you know, the program, it, it is quite competitive in many respects to the school is very prestigious. So once you get in, it's, it's actually, for me, it, it was a very big deal. I was very, very honored to be a part of the, the, the class that, uh, that were able to study completely car design. And then once we graduated, uh, once I started my career at GM in the Cadillac studio, I felt like I had to start learning all over again because it's, it's at a, a different level. You know, it's a, it's a whole new level, a much higher level, much higher paced. I was very, very honored to be able to work with some of the, the best designers in the world on you know many of the projects I was involved in, such as the CT6, and then some of the concept car projects, uh, including the Escala and some of the battery electric vehicles and uh, advanced projects. So I was able to learn a lot myself as a designer. And I think one of the most important thing is we, we all, I think 
for me, it's you, you always need to be humble and be able to open up yourself and be able to learn uh, things. There's so much things that we don't know uh, in terms of the knowledge of our profession. And even though I've been in the industry and working for many years now, but uh, I still have so much things to learn. So I constantly try to learn as much as I can and be able to uh, respect our fellow design fellow designers from different companies, uh, regardless of the, the approach or style that they take. So when I was at GM, you know, that was another level of competition um, where I had to compete against uh, designers that had much more years of experience than I, than I had, and also designers that were just simply much more talented than I am. And then I had so much room to grow to be able to compete at their level. So of course, throughout the years, I was constantly working very hard, just be, be able to catch up. So I guess for me, the way I did it was if I'm not as good or if my experience is not as, as strong as some of the other designers that worked for many years longer than I have, I have to put in the extra hours of hard work. If one designer worked and did you know one design proposal or one design rendering, I tend to stay late and do maybe two or three. Uh, so that kind of give me a higher probability uh, possibly having an extra design proposal getting selected. It's almost like thinking of like a marathon or like a like a race. If you're like one lap behind, you have to be like twice as fast in order to catch up and be able to win the 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 race later down the road. I guess for me, it was always in a passion. It was a passion where it allowed me to do it just kind of naturally. Uh, I've never felt like it was really, I guess, sometimes it could be stressful, but in a different way. It's not a bad way. It's It's just stressful because we're putting so much energy uh, in something that we're so passionate about. And I can speak on behalf of Minicar designers, I believe that they do feel the same way. Now, when I when I came to China, and then obviously a lot of my work responsibilities became much bigger, and I had to be able to be responsible for much more of the design tasks. That became a part where I had to be able to personally adjust my lifestyle. I had to first understand the company structure, the company culture and then how the company operate because every every company will operates somewhat differently in china here uh, the way the i guess the r&d structure and also the timeline and also the resource and also the the entire process is sometimes is is it's a little different and i had to quickly learn and adapt and be able to kind of get into the design battleground and really really be able to try to outpace the the challenges that i was facing and then because we're working on a lot of projects a lot of new exciting projects sometimes really have to stay late for work and really be able to put in the extra hours and and then also a lot of times i'm never really happy with the, the work that i'm that i was doing so i constantly want to improve and adjust and refine and, and be able to do better and better and better but sometimes when it comes to a point where you said okay there is a timeline so you have to manage the timeline and refine through those timeline gates, and and it's not an endless design process. That's the part where I try to push myself and be able to deliver the best possible work that I can in every environment that I'm in. I do feel like sometimes we kind of need to really balance out a little bit. But quite frankly speaking, I do feel like different designers, different companies, uh, different locations definitely have different type of ex working experiences. In China, the pace is really, really fast. I mean, it's really, really fast. When I was at GM, every structure, talking about the product development timeline, it's very, very mature. It's very, very structured. 
And, uh, and it's been done through many years of validation. And then the system is very, very strong and well put together. So when you have a very strong system, the designers or, you know, the engineers, designers, we tend to be able to communicate and work and progress in a very natural timeline where in China, a lot of the timelines are very much expedited. So it's like an express timeline. So you have to get things out much faster. That's the big challenge. And then for me, throughout the years, I still to, I'm still trying to figure out step by step how I can balance out my life in terms of my personal life and also my professional working life. So I think it's going to take some time. One of my biggest goals right now is I have to do the best that I can to be able to design the best work that I can along with my team to set a, a competitive product out on the road in the next few years. I think when you when you mention uh, GM time, it's like structure again the freedom which you get in China, but still you get uh, much higher tasks, much much more uh, responsibility also because of your career growth and so on. So, but still, it's very honorable that you mention you do not put your ego so high. So it's still staying humble and and observing. Okay, what can you do best? What can you improve? Where can you do? I don't know three more sketches, uh, three more projects just to, to be able to compete on a higher level, right? With the people who are like better or at least what you consider as, as better or faster and more efficient. Enos, the life of a designer is actually a constant living in the future because you have to think so many years ahead. But where do you get the most inspiration in the here and now? From ourselves, from us as human beings, from you, from me, from everybody, from our kids. Let's see, say the other way around. What does not inspire me? That maybe we can just talk about what, what really actually kind of uh, gets in the way of inspiration. A lot of times it is the, the notion that old is good. Yeah? I remember uh, having conversations even with my, my late father. I, I can say this because he was, uh, uh, I joked with him also when he was alive about this. A lot of times when I showed him the older generation an idea, especially in his case, he would say, if he wasn't sure about something like, inspiration he would say hmm that's new and then my question is like well does new mean bad just because you haven't seen it before and he's like oh, i have to get used to it you know so that for me is what i would like to get around that's why i like to uh, talk around uh, you know i i like when a customer that comes to me for future design starts you know asking questions like a child like like this This creative freedom of like anything is possible and there's nothing that's good and there's nothing that's bad. Just because we've seen it 10 times doesn't mean it's good. You know, somebody repeats the same story 10 times doesn't mean that that story is right. Um, so it really comes down to what inspires me is when people say anything. Let's go. Let's talk about everything. Let's be open. And it comes down to, I think, inspiration is the important word here. I myself, of course, as a As a designer, I'm an, an artist in the regard that I sketch and draw and that kind of stuff since my early years. But I'm also a musician and I make music and I know how I feel when I'm, when I'm in the flow making music. When the inspiration is not being taken by, hopefully you will like my music. The minute I cater to other people's tastes, it inhibits me in my creative freedom. The minute I'm in the flow, in the creativity that I make, it really comes down to me as a human being, my stomach, my feeling of, do I like this music? And that's the same thing. If I think ahead, you say constant thinking about the future, maybe, but really all I think about is I'm thinking inward. What would I like? You know, if I talk about in 20 years time, 
do you have a glass, glass ball or do I have a glass ball? No, we don't. All you can do is the glass ball is here, the stomach. You've got to look to inward. Or I ask you what you would like to have. And there's no wish that is stupid. You know, if you like to have this and that solution, you know, I think it's us. It's like I say, it's the music. Let's go with the flow. We'll create it. And I'm sure it has a validity. So the inspiration is to listen to people. Um, think of it as, uh, I would say, yeah, creative music. And listen to people and listen to yourself uh, when you make something. That's inspirational. Actually, I break it down to be bold, be yourself, be open-minded, and be your own greatest fan, kind of. That's true. I think being your own greatest fan, I think uh, it's hard because I think you know that feeling. I don't think you are ever really your own biggest fan, and I'm definitely not my own biggest fan because we are kind of being brought up to you know, uh, evaluate what's, you know, what we can do better and da, da, da. We learned that in school and that's fine, essentially, because it keeps bringing us onto other levels. What it really comes down to is like search for um, those moments of happiness and then analyze why those moments of happiness make you happy in a creative process. And usually it's when you say, but I like it. It's going to be nice. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be right. It's going to be a good thing. That's usually when you as a creator are the most inspired. So yes, it comes down to being your own fan, but it also comes down to kind of maybe not admire yourself, but rather than just kind of uh, acknowledge when you feel good about the solution that you came up with. Very good balance. Yeah. Albert, uh, it's perfect that you mentioned the people you are working with, because my question to you is now, what are your biggest lessons learned in the area of leadership, in the area of working with people? Mm. I've I've gotten approval somewhat for my stubby way uh, of doing things. It's it's not not that learning. It's it's um, I realized uh, with some approval to be on on the right way, which is personally fitting to me as a leader. Keep honest and keep doing what you are thinking that is is the right way personally for you and and the human beings around you you have the project goals you have the team and what at the end will be a good project goal if if you lose your team if you lose the human beings around you i've i've read a, a book uh, years ago you know shackleton yeah many people don't know that person because um, he did not reach his goal but he was the first explorer in in that time parallel to Amundsen and the other guys who never he never lo loses even one single single human being it, it's a really that, that that amazing point that you have to be as a leader you have to lead and and you want to lead human beings so you can't lose even one single human being at, 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 on that way. This is the question of responsibility. If, if you really be honest uh, in everything you do with the full responsibility for yourself and for every single member of, of your team, you can go to every expedition. You can go to every design expedition with every member of the team uh, which contributes What he can do, every team member uh, is on a, on a certain point will do sometimes more than you can expect as a leader because you give them the trust and, and the freedom to 
contributor to, to, to our design goal. You are part of that. And personally, I have to, to set an example how I want to contribute to the design goal. And with that example, together, we can reach everything. So I definitely take with me, give the people the trust and the freedom they need and keep them all alive in your team. And it's not worth to lose not even one person. Actually, the, the funny detail is that the Shackleton story was already mentioned in our very, very first podcast episode with the CEO from Electron, Oren Eza, and it's a very, very inspiring story. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, um, about trust, uh, perhaps, yes, trust pays off. Perhaps that's one of the secrets of leadership. Trust pays off. Frank, what was the best advice that you ever get in your life and why? When I was at GM, I've had uh, many different mentors. And, and again, there are so many talented designers there from either fresh out of school. There's a lot of top talents to somebody that has much more of a senior position, senior designers to managers and including my directors. And then also, you know, going up to even bigger positions, higher positions to, you know, executive directors and obviously VP. But everybody somehow inspired me in different ways. And then somehow I have learned differently through different situations. It became a, a very, very bright experience throughout the years. But when it comes down to the best advice, I have some, some really great advice I've, I've received through different mentors, different colleagues. I call them mentors because I feel like I've learned so much from them and they're, they're such wonderful people that it's like, I, I want, I want to be their mentee, you know? And then luckily enough, some of them do kind of see themselves in that relationship. It's like a privilege. But one of the best advice I can remember is one of my uh, actually mentor. I, I see him as my mentor. He told me, uh, well, before I, before I tell you what the advice was, the, how the advice came about, communicating with people and dealing with people and working with people on a daily basis. Uh, sometimes it's very, very normal. You will run into a specific, I guess, uh, specific conflict, depending on what kind of conflict it is. Different people have different types of conflicts. And uh, for me, one of my early career, I wouldn't say conflict. It was just, it was just a learning experience. It was that I came in and I really, really want to do, you know, my design. And then once my, my design was chosen by the top management, we had to create a, make a, a clay model. And then usually we make a scale model first and then we blow up to full size. During that time, you know, I, I constantly work with different clay modelers. And then in the beginning, you know, I was very young and I was, you know, I was not experienced at all in a way, kind of stupid. Didn't really know too much about how the professional car design industry really worked. Uh, so I was constantly trying to uh, push the clay modeler to work on my, my model. I think sometimes you know, you have to kind of be able to balance out that relationship. You have to really be able to uh, understand where everybody, where other people's point of view is coming from. And, uh, and then that really comes down to that cohesive and harmonious working relationship with, you know, between clay modelers or working with the engineers, or it could be with your fellow designers, anybody. So, um, so I was trying to figure out, you know, how I can have that modeler, have that clay modeler be able to spend more time on the, on the model uh, to be able to deliver that feeling or deliver that design through the 3D clay model. And I was having a little bit of trouble. So yeah, but this modeler, he's the sweetest guy. I mean, today 
we're like really great friends. And I, and, and I really, really highly uh, respect this fellow uh, modeler. Very, very, he's like a, like a master. Today, I really look at him as a master. But back then, you know, we didn't know each other. So, you know, it was kind of more of like a misunderstanding. So then my mentor came to me and he said, hey, Frank, listen. So let me give you an advice. I've been working in the car industry for like 15 years. And he's like, when I first came in, I, I experienced the same thing. And not only that, we'll constantly experience, encounter uh, different type of challenges during our, our, our career. And he says, but when it comes down to people, the best advice I can give you is you got to love everybody. You got to love everybody. And I was like, what, what do you mean? I got to love everybody. And I was like, you got to show love. And when you constantly sort of output that care and output the respect and, and love towards even strangers, strangers or colleagues or anybody that you, you encounter with on a daily basis, positive energy will be returned back to you over time. So in the beginning, you might be dealing with somebody that might, you might feel like is very negative, right? Like everything you say is like, I cannot do this, cannot do this, this cannot be done, that cannot be done. But then you got to understand everybody is good. Everybody has something very strong in terms of something that's good in their heart. You just kind of have to dig it up. You, you kind of have to find it. But in order to do that, you have to communicate with them. You have to show kindness. You have to show love. And then that's when I started to understand what he really meant. Instead of always uh, meeting the sculptor in the morning, early in the morning, everybody's kind of grumpy and tired. Like they don't want the next, the last thing they want is you kind of just like, hey, can you work on my model? Hey, can you change this? Flossing them. <laughs> yeah, if I was him, I would feel the same way. So instead of doing that, we start off something a little bit different. I took a different approach where maybe I go to a coffee shop, maybe I go to Starbucks. Hey, because I, I have a cup of coffee every morning. And then I think car designers will usually all do that. So I buy a cup of coffee for myself. And then, hey, you know what? Let me get him a coffee too. Uh, I don't know what he likes, but I'll just get him a, you know, a, a coffee. Brought him the coffee and with some sugar and cream and say, hey, good morning. Uh, how's, how was your weekend? How's everything? Did you have a good weekend? It was really nice out this weekend. You know, like, did you, were you able to go out and, and do something fun with your family? I mean, the moment I think you start to try to be friendly and start to have a conversation, more of a human conversation other than just work, even during work time, I think it, it kind of makes people relax and make people kind of open up a little bit. And then, hey, by the way, I got you a cup of coffee. It's really early. You know, I don't know if you like black or if you like sugar or cream. Here you go. So, oh, no, no, you don't have to, you don't have to give me that coffee. It's okay. Hey, but hey, thanks. Thanks, Frank. I really appreciate it. And then that kind of communication experience really, I think, connected two strangers closer and be able to uh, mutually have respect to each other and mutually be able to want to do something good together. And of course, create that car because If my design got chosen and he's assigned to work on the clay model, if his clay model gets chosen, everybody wins. So I guess that, and again, that's just one specific uh, scenario where, you know, I've, I've later taken that advice further down the road in my career, dealing with different people in different situations, different uh, professions. I could use that, you know, to anybody that I encounter and be able to just kind of show kindness and be able to respect people and be able to mutually have a conversation not just about what you want but maybe what other people want too and then that's going to create a much closer bond and especially for work i think for work it allows people to respect you a little bit more allows the people want to kind of have a conversation with you and be closer to you as a friend or as a as a fellow colleague it kind of makes things a lot easier that's my sort of experience
I could not agree more with this advice. It's an amazing advice and actually definitely for life or work for everything. Kindness always returns back in kindness and uh, it generates magic in your life. Absolutely. And as what is your inspirational guiding principle through life? What life model best reflects your attitude and your mindset? It's a really uh, controversial one, but I do use it a lot. And that is that I say, and I'm sorry for saying that, but I, this is really what I believe in is, I like quantity over quality. Very tough one. What I mean by that is that quantity spawns quality because quantity means 50 sketches will make you draw better and 100 sketches will make you even draw even better. And 300 sketches, you might be a semi-professional by that time. Yeah. So it really means uh, practice your craft, quantity, practice, practice, quantity. That will lead you to perfection. And I feel like that in music as well when I make music. Because I always, you know, in music you want to practice the scales and the Dorian, the, the, the Lydian scales and the Mixolydian scales. And you kind of get bogged down with this, like, you have to know your scales. And really what it comes down to is spend time, many, many hours listening to music, understanding feelings in music. And you become more fluent in understanding these things. Uh, and that will eventually bring you somewhere now. Is that perfection? Is that quality? Who, who am I to say? Uh, so all I can say, uh, I, yeah, my life motto is, um, and I think that's, actually I say that, I think in the mini video they did of me many, many years ago, I say, you know, I'm, I'm too fast to, to, to be a perfectionist. If I'm so fast, I don't have time to look for every corner on a thing. It's not possible because I got my hands in all these pots going And that's quantity, quantity of projects, quantity of input, quantity of relationships, talking to people. And I don't have one friend for life. You know, I have a multitude of friends uh, uh, that, that, you know, I think in the, and that brings for me quality, you know. So I think it's important uh, to be quick uh, or no, that would be wrong because it sounds like I want other people to be quick. For me personally, I'm very fast and, and very quick. That means that I like the idea of quantity that makes me practice my craft, that makes me hopefully deliver quality or um, uh, perfection in the long run. Maybe not. I still see mistakes on the Z4, for example, every day. And people go like, oh, that's a great car. I say, yeah, but I still see these little mistakes. But I wouldn't want to have fixed those mistakes because then it's like a human face. Then you're perfecting something And none of our faces are perfect. You know, we slightly nose to the other side. So imperfection is part of life as well. You know, so it's, it doesn't always have to fit. You know, I always say the Heidi Klum image. That's sort of like my nemesis. I hate that image of people want to be beautiful according to a set. Yeah, something that people say, that's perfection. That's quality. This is a perfect dress. This is a perfect jacket. This is a perfect piece of music. I don't know. I mean, in music, for example, for, for Beatles, because I love Beatles music anyways, you know, there's a lot of people that say that Abbey Road is the best album because it's the perfect pop album or rock album, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but I like the White Album better. There's more songs and it's more diverse and it's more crazy and a little less quality. But that's, I like that. So there's something for something for everybody. Some people want perfection and quality. I'm more about quantity and speed and fun, basically. 
So my insight here is uh, something like the perfect imperfection exists. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, that I'm sorry if I may. Um, um, uh, imperfection is not a good word because that suggests a step. It's basically it's like the word minus. Minus is the wrong direction. Plus is a good direction. So it implies that we are happy with the imperfect. We're not. We are. We should be striving for perfection. By the way, that's. Uh, I thought that was a beautiful slogan. If there's something like that, but I remember when uh, Lexus they brought out their brand in the '90s or whatever, and they were successful in America. The slogan. I think they might have it, but I don't know. At least in the '90s, they had the Lexus slogan in uh, America was, uh, "In pursuit of perfection." I thought that was such a beautiful, humble statement, saying we do our best now. We do as good as we can. And hopefully we'll get even better. And hopefully we'll get even better. I thought that was beautiful. So that's kind of, I don't like the word imp, uh, imperfect, but the idea of saying we're on the road to perfection. Maybe it's like a North Star. You'll ne we'll never get to perfection anyways. But let's go in the plus direction and not in the minus direction. Let's keep improving with our craft to arrive. Hopefully, we'll never arrive, but we will work towards the right direction, which will be as much and as good as possible uh, that we could come up with, with our state of mind at that moment. Perfect. And it's nice, time always passes so quickly. And now it's time to close this special edition of the EEC podcast. It has been a pleasure to discuss with you the present and the future of design and to learn from the experience of the past years in terms of personal lessons learned from each of you. Thank you for sharing your opinions with me on what the future holds for design and mobility. As Albert already said, there's a liberation through autonomous driving. More freedom is given to the designers. And now it's about making this whole buffet of technology solutions, as Anders Apple described it, with an attractive design vision appealing to the customer and those defining this why. Why shared mobility? Why autonomous driving? Special thank you also to Frank to giving us the insights into the Chinese market and making it very clearly what other expectations Chinese customers have on their cars and what role designers have to play in meeting these expectations. It was an honor to learn from all of you. And I'm looking forward to the feedback from our audience on how they like this very first special edition about design. May you continue to generate many great new design ideas when you doesn't mean bad. I want to thank you for your time and also for arranging this because I think I see these kinds of podcasts here and I'm sure the other gentlemen see it the same way as a little bit of a sparring partner. First of all, I like to get to know people and hear their opinion and your questions suggest basically what's important to you and what's important in the world. So through the questions, I also get sort of a direction about, ah, oh, these are in important topics. And through the answers from the other gentlemen, I'll also have that feeling of like, okay, I, I learned. So yeah, for me, it's, it's about arranging these things for people to learn from each other, listen to each other. It's an honor to be able to be a part of your podcast and be able to, uh, to be invited along with uh, fellow, I mean, you know, design masters in, in, in many respects, uh, a lot of the very, very top talent designers in your podcast. And I think it's a, uh, it's really, really fun to be able to exchange ideas and to be able to learn from other uh, designers Uh, from all over the world. I think for me, I still continue have so much things to learn and I will continue to do that and be able to continue to listen to your future podcasts. 
and uh, to to be able to understand a lot of different point of views coming from a lot of uh, experienced and talented designers or uh, or other professionals uh, in the auto industry. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for inviting me uh, to the podcast. For me, the the extensive uh, experience was how different the answers are, uh, how how far we are going. Uh, in, the, in a personal way, in, in the viewing of a designer, design is for me then a personal expression after that podcast because we have these different answers and uh, no answer is wrong or better than the other one. Uh, we are going different ways. So that's the, the experience I have from that podcast and I can only be grateful that we had that few minutes to go on that journey together. There are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's just not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, the big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode.